This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Auto insurance can all seem the same until it comes time to use it. So don't get stuck paying more for less coverage. Switch to USA Auto Insurance and you could start saving money in no time. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night sky was clear, but the sounds of thunder echoed above Alchemini's home. She was perplexed by the odd behavior of the heavens. She hoped it wasn't a bad omen for her husband, Amphitryon, who was traveling home from war. Alchemini, my love, are you here? Amphitryon, the gods are merciful. You've returned more quickly than I had ever thought possible. The gods are good indeed. But forgive me, my love. My body can speak to my joy more than words ever could. Alcmini lay with her husband, their reunion more joyous and fruitful than any night they'd had before. They fell asleep in each other's arms. Alcmini awoke to an empty bed. She searched her home for Amphitryon, but he was nowhere to be found. His absence was curious, but she was sure he'd return again. Later that night, the door opened. Alcmini, are you home? I have finally returned, and I can wait to see you no longer. Amphitryon? Where have you... My love, it has been so long. I appreciate the passion, but are you pulling some sort of jest? You do remember the wonderful time we had last night. It was a beautiful night indeed, but I did not spend it with you. Alcmini grew fearful. She had heard the thunder and thought it meant nothing. But the god of thunder was notorious for his dalliances with mortal women. Amphitryon, I regret to say, I think I've lain with Zeus. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every week, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're covering the origins of Hercules. One of Greece's greatest heroes, Hercules, or Heracles, is best known for his 12 labors. However, in these episodes, we'll be covering his life outside the labors, his choices, his tragedies, and his contentious relationship with the goddess Hera. Don't worry, we'll cover the 12 labors in a future set of episodes. New episodes of Mythology release every Tuesday, and you can find us and all of ParCast's podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. Of all the heroes of ancient Greece, one took hold of Grecian pop culture more than any other. His face was plastered on vases, coins, mosaics, businesses, and temples. His stories were told by the young and the old, the rich and the poor, with many variations and permutations upon them spreading like wildfire. His popularity was so intense, even Roman emperors claimed him as their patron god centuries after his stories were first created. The Greeks called him Heracles, but he's better known today by his Roman name, Hercules, god of strength. His popularity stems from his inspiring character. Sired by Zeus, but born to a mortal woman, Hercules began his life as a mortal man. His deific parentage proved to be both a gift and a curse. He gained strength from his father's blood, but that strength was matched by the vengeful hate of his father's wife, Hera. Eventually, through all his trials and tribulations, Hercules triumphed against the cruel suffering of life and gained for himself the one thing which we all desire, immortality. Hercules transformed himself into a god. This transformation made Hercules an object of worship, but his true purpose in Greek mythology was that of the role model. He was not some distant being ruling from the heavens. He was an example for all to follow. Hercules was the man we could become if we faced the world with dauntless courage. He was the man we could become if we accepted responsibility for our actions and strove to overcome our darkest impulses. His immortality was actually our own. Eusebius of Caesarea, a Christian scholar who lived during the Constantinian dynasty in the 4th century AD, proposed that a literalist interpretation of Hercules' myths would mean that he was, in fact, a real person. Following this theory, Hercules would have been a king reigning in Argos 1,200 years before the birth of Christ. After a glorious and well-respected rule, Hercules the king would have died in approximately 1226 BC. Upon his death, he would have been so admired by his people that they claimed he ascended to godhood instead of descending into death. Stories of this god-king then spread throughout the region, providing us with the legends we know today. Most modern scholars believe that Hercules wasn't just one man, but many. Current theories about the origins of Hercules propose that he was a hero cobbled together by the memories of the masses. For instance, a man in Thebes killed a lion, another man in Athens killed a boar, and still another man in Sparta led a victorious military assault on an enemy tribe. As people traveled between Thebes, Athens, and Sparta, telling stories about their local heroes, those stories got told and retold until they all blended together. It wasn't three different men who had accomplished three different things in three different places. It was one man who had accomplished everything. As more stories got added to the man's legacy, he became legendary and monolithic. He became the people's hero. He became a god. And yet, before all that, he was just a little baby boy. 
On Mount Olympus, Zeus and his wife Hera argued over his most recent indiscretion. I see you've snuck behind my back again. You expect me to allow you another bastard child? The child is no bastard. Amphitryon has decided to raise him as his own. But he will have your eyes and your strength and his mother's mortal blood. Everyone will know he's yours. And I told you when this last happened, I would not suffer this indignity again. Well, Hera, what exactly do you plan to do? I am your king. And I am your queen. Hera stomped away to fume in her private quarters. She was the goddess of marriage. She couldn't leave her husband, and he was too powerful for her to harm directly. But the child, she could hurt the child. Alcmene lay in her bed, screaming in pain. Amphitryon held her hand as the midwife urged her to push. When the child was born, the midwife cleaned him up, wrapped him in blankets, and handed him to his mother. He is beautiful. The couple huddled over their new son, his infant eyes glowing with brilliance, looking towards the ceiling with a strangely sharp curiosity. What are you looking at, little one? The boy smiled. Alcmene and Amphitryon looked up. Two massive serpents with long, white fangs came flying downwards. Amphitryon's hand flashed to his side and closed on the hilt of his dagger, but he was too late. The snakes were too quick, and their fangs were flying towards the baby boy. The baby's arms tore through his swaddle blanket, and his hands grasped each snake's head just in the nick of time. The baby giggled as his hands squeezed the serpent's necks. The snake's vertebrae crumbled in the infant's grip. Blood dripped from their mouths as the child whipped their lifeless bodies around in pure joy. Surely this is a child of Zeus. Perhaps raising this child is more than a mortal such as myself can handle. My love, do not speak such things. As surely as I live, we will raise him together, and if we dedicate him to the queen goddess herself, surely she will grant us joy in parenthood. Oh, Hera's temple is miles away. We cannot dedicate him in time. We will dedicate him with a name. He shall be called Hercules. Hercules, the glory of Hera. He will be a great man someday. In the original Greek telling, Hercules was given the name Alcides at birth, a name derived from Alki, the Greek word for strength. As the boy grew and Hera's hatred for the boy became known, his parents renamed him Heracles, a name that means glorious gift of Hera. This name was meant to appease Hera in her anger, but instead she took it as an added insult to injury. Hera watched from Mount Olympus as her serpents had failed to kill the child. Now, in their failure, her husband's mistress taunted her by naming the bastard after her, Hercules. Hera's rage could not be contained. The heavens shook with her anger, and plants withered in her presence. She would kill the boy. She would make him suffer. Hera lay down to rest, plotting her vengeance. She slept long and deep, 
her dreams focused on giant beasts, pestilence, and madness. As she slept, Zeus called Athena and Hermes to his side. He persuaded them to help him with his plan to protect his son. Hermes stole the boy from his crib, and Athena snuck into Hera's quarters. In her slumber, Hera felt a soft tugging at her left breast. She awoke to the infant boy, Hercules himself, suckling. Violated and full of rage, Hera grabbed the infant and flung him off of Mount Olympus, his tiny body and a trail of milk flying across the sky. Hera's milk clung to the heavens, forming a collection of stars known today as the Milky Way. Hermes, messenger of the gods, raced to catch the boy. Hercules giggled as Hermes carried him back to his mother. Now that Hercules had drank from Hera's breast, the child had the potential to become immortal, just as Zeus had intended. Perhaps Hercules would have a chance at surviving Hera's wrath after all. We'll have more on Hercules' story after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now back to the story. The infant Hercules had survived being attacked by snakes and being hurled off the top of Mount Olympus. His extraordinary talents would only grow with him as he grew older. Amphitryon, did you see our boy as you were driving the chariot? He was standing in the same position, acting as if he was holding the reins. Really? Perhaps I should teach him to be a charioteer. Oh, that would be adorable. A little toddler boy driving a chariot. What a sight that would be. Indeed. I shall fetch him. Wait, I was only jesting. You aren't actually going to. Uh, up he goes. Remove him from that chariot this instant. <laughs> Do not worry. He is far too small to... No! I, I thought he was too short to reach the reins. That chariot is going to crash and our son is going to die. I swear to Zeus, I will send you straight to Hades myself. As Alchemini berated her husband for his poor parenting, the chariot began to turn. The horses were calm and composed. Hercules the toddler still held the reins, standing like a grown man. By Olympus, it is every bit as cute as I imagined it to be. Even as a simple toddler, Hercules demonstrated unusual strength and intelligence. Amphitryon taught Hercules all the arts of war, but in only a few short years, the young boy outpaced his foster father's abilities. In an effort to encourage their son and foster his growth, Amphitryon and Alcmene sought out the most talented tutors they could find. Autolycus, the son of Hermes, taught Hercules how to wrestle like a demigod. Eurytus, a revered bowman, taught Hercules the art of archery. And Castor, one of the twins of the constellation Gemini, taught Hercules horsemanship and many of the arts of war. 
Alkmini also made sure to teach her son Grecian culture and morals, ensuring that he was able to discern between justice and injustice, hoping that he would become a virtuous man. When it became clear to his parents that Hercules had learned all he could about fighting and morality, they felt it was time for him to learn some of the finer aspects of civilized life. Hercules was sent to study art, music, and literature at the feet of Linos, demigod son of Apollo. Hercules arrived into the classroom with all the boastfulness of a gifted preteen. Ah, you must be Hercules. Please sit down. I'm showing your classmates the intricacies of stonework. Hercules watched as Linos meticulously tapped away at a block of marble. The chisel took tiny pieces away, bit by bit. Hercules quickly grew bored. Linos was taking such small parts. Hercules was sure the job would get done faster if his tutor would only strike a bit harder. Hercules sighed. <sighs> oh, young Hercules, do you grow tired with my teaching? Word has spread that you have many gifts. Perhaps you think you can do better than I. Hercules nodded. He was sure he could do better. He always had, after all. Ah, then come and show me how to sculpt. Hercules trotted to the front of the room. He took the hammer and chisel and raised them up. With one strike, he would carve the marble brilliantly. The marble shattered at his blow. Well, if you are hoping to demonstrate how to fail, I must say you did so wonderfully. Hercules felt his blood boil. Nobody had ever laughed at him before. Didn't they know he was better than them? Didn't they know he was the son of Zeus? Sculpting was a useless profession anyway. Well, boy, you would do well to sit back down. Wait, before you do, fetch me that block of marble from the corner. We may as well have you do something you are good at. Hercules stewed in his anger as the class proceeded. That bastard Linos looked so smug tapping away at his little stone. The sculpting demonstration ended, and the class moved on to the library for instruction in literature. Linos held a vast collection of poems, epics, and histories written down for all to read. He grabbed a scroll and stood in front of the class. Now, what story shall I read for you all today? Ah, here's a good one. The Rape of Europa, or perhaps The Rape of Ganymede, or even The Rape of Leda. Hercules, which one of your father's rapes would you like to hear about? There are just so many to choose from. Hercules remained silent. He knew that if he spoke, he would only curse and yell. Linos was baiting his fury, and Hercules knew that soon it would be too much for him to bear. Well, I suppose we have time enough to hear about all of them. Hercules shut his eyes and tried not to listen. His face was growing red and his fists were clenching. Linos didn't know when to quit. Linos finished regaling the class with Zeus's misdeeds, then led them to their final activity of the day. The group entered a room filled with lyres, the preferred string instrument of the gods. The lyre is a beautiful instrument. In the right hands, its sound can soothe even the most aggressive beasts. However, true mastery requires a deft touch and a gentle nature. Hercules, 
Would you mind showing the class what not to do? Hercules picked up his lyre. He would show this man he could pluck a simple string. Ooh, watch out, boy. Be careful not to break the instrument. That was the last straw. Hercules stood, shaking with rage. Are you leaving? Is music too difficult for the great babe Hercules? Hercules snapped. He brought his arm back, then let loose, chucking the lyre at Linos's head with extreme precision. He would show Linos what it meant to break an instrument. The lyre crashed against Linos's head, breaking into splinters with the force of a demigod. Linos, son of Apollo, fell to the ground. The room fell silent. Hercules waited for Linos to move, but he remained motionless on the ground. Hercules approached his tutor, noticing blood pooling around the man's head. The lyre wasn't the only thing that Hercules had broken. Linos's skull was crushed, blood pooling beneath him. Hera watched this happen with glee. <laughs> the boy has killed his tutor. His disposition appears almost as unstable as yours. You know my temper and you seek to provoke it by mocking me? Nothing you do to me will come close to what Apollo will do to that bastard son of yours. His blood debt must be paid. Do not be so self-assured. Behold, Amphitryon praying in Apollo's temple. Amphitryon has always been one of Apollo's favorite mortals. It would not surprise me if Apollo shows the boy some mercy for his father's sake for both his father's sakes. Zeus was right. While Apollo would have normally taken blood for blood, Amphitryon's pleas and Hercules' parentage persuaded Apollo to allow Hercules a chance at redemption. Instead of smiting Hercules outright, Apollo banished Hercules to Mount Cytherion, where he was sentenced to tend Apollo's cattle herds until Hercules reached adulthood. Mount Cytherion was cold, barren, and lonely. In isolation and hardship, Hercules was meant to ruminate on his failings and grow through his suffering. His heart weighed heavy, but he was determined to work hard as penitence, proving to Apollo the extent of his shame. Of course, Hera was not satisfied. Hera sent great beasts of the mountain, lions, bears, and serpents, to pester his herd. Early on, Hercules struggled to fight off the beasts, his guilt growing as he failed to accomplish the task Apollo had set for him. But the more beasts Hera sent, the stronger and more adept Hercules grew. He initially would lose one or two cows to the great predators, but as time wore on, Hercules defeated the beasts long before they could even touch the herd. In frustration, Hera stomped around the heavens, sending rain, sleet, snow, and hail to the mountain. No matter what came, Hercules was prepared to weather the storm. He had a debt to pay Apollo, and he intended to pay it. Hercules' murder of Linos set a pattern for his life to come. He would commit a great sin, seek atonement through penitence, then find glory and redemption through the strength of his actions. For the average Greek, this cycle was a higher-stakes version of their everyday lives. Even though the average man could not slay hydras or wrestle with gods, 
the average man could accept responsibility for his actions. It's also symbolically significant that Hercules killed Linos, his art instructor. Hercules was inept when it came to many aspects of civilized life. His great fighting prowess was often placed in contrast with the sophistication of the people around him. This motif of the rugged barbarian coming into conflict with effete society would repeat itself many times in the tale of Hercules. Yet Hercules would often come out on top, even when challenged by the Queen of Olympus herself. As Hercules approached his 18th birthday, Hera realized simple beasts and bad weather would not be enough to stop this boy. She withheld her attacks to plan something better, something far worse for Hercules to suffer through. Hercules enjoyed the brief respite with the warm sun, light breeze, and peaceful herd. On the day before his 18th birthday, he sat on a rock thinking about his life and what he should do with it once he regained his freedom. As he sat, he noticed two female figures approaching him from the mountainside. They both appeared radiant and ethereal, as if they had come to him straight from the heavens. As they grew closer, Hercules was able to perceive more differences between the two. The one in the lead seemed to float in her steps, her hair gold and full, and her face pretty, but somewhat vapid. She wore a light robe, almost more ethereal than herself, and her figure seemed to invite his gaze with each movement. The second woman stood tall and strong, her hair dark, and her face dignified. She wore a more formal dress and held a striking visage, an embodiment of strength and honor commanding his respect. The one with golden hair sat next to Hercules and cozied up to his side. Her touch on his shoulder felt light and comforting. She whispered into his ear, Hello, Hercules. My friends call me Joy, although my enemies call me Vice. Which will you call me, I wonder? The dark-haired woman stood before him, proud. She spoke with a calm authority. Hello, Hercules. You may call me Virtue. To what do I owe the pleasure? We've seen you here, suffering on the mountain, fighting with beasts and struggling against nature. You'll be a man soon. We've come to offer you a choice. What kind of a man would you like to be? What kind of life would you like to live? Truthfully, this question has vexed me for quite some time. You don't like suffering, do you? You don't like pain or anguish? Not particularly, no. Well, I can offer you joy and pleasure. Soft beds, smooth wine, lovely women. No more stones, no more rain, no more labor. I can give you a wonderful life, easy and free from suffering. I must say that does sound nice. And you, Virtue? What do you have to offer? I shall not lie to you, young Hercules. I do not offer beds, or beer, or women. Instead, I offer you a path. Look at the mountain rising up behind you, and tell me what you see. I see sharp rocks and steep ledges, a tough and brutal climb with nary a place to rest. And look at the top. What do you see? Clouds. 
the mountain reaches into the heavens. This is what I offer you, glory and immortality, built atop years of anguish, fighting and pain. Mine is not a path to be taken lightly, and those who choose it are few indeed. Hardly as lovely as me. So, which will you choose? Hercules thought carefully. His adolescence had been nothing but work and pain, punishment for his iniquities and the iniquities of his father. He wasn't sure that he wanted more of the same. He looked at the mountain once more, its crags and peaks daunting and inhospitable. Then he looked at the clouds. Hercules stood. I am the son of Zeus. I am the mighty Hercules. Virtue, take my hand and show me the way. I expected nothing less from you. Virtue extended her hand. Hercules reached out and took it. As his palm touched hers, the world shook, then turned black. Hercules opened his eyes. He had dozed off on the side of the mountain, and his cattle had wandered away. He rubbed the sleep from his eyes, stood up, and set off to round up his herd. For just a second, he turned around and looked up at the mountain. Steep, rocky, painful, reaching into the clouds, he smiled. We'll return to Hercules' story after this. Now back to the story. On Hercules' 18th birthday, he was free to leave Mount Cytherion, his debt to Apollo repaid. He marched towards Thebes, his homeland, intending to return to his father and mother to show them the man he'd become, handsome, strong, and cleared of his past evils. On his way back home, he came upon a large detachment of cavalry soldiers, perhaps a hundred strong. They wore the colors of King Erginus of Orchomenus. This would make these soldiers minions, a group of people Hercules was not too fond of. The minions were unnecessarily aggressive and didn't get along with neighbors. Excuse me. It seems that you lot are on the road to Thebes. Is there a reason for this large portion of the military to be approaching Thebes fully armed? The soldiers looked at Hercules to see that he was wearing shepherd's clothing. Hercules had a sword on his hip, but aside from that, he was not dressed for battle. The soldiers ignored him. Perhaps I have failed to make myself clear. Hercules grabbed a boulder from the side of the road and hefted it in front of the military march. My name is Hercules, son of Zeus. Why are you headed to Thebes? The formation shifted to allow a general through, riding on his horse. The general looked Hercules up and down. We are going to Thebes to collect our annual tax of a hundred Theban cattle. Since when does Thebes pay tribute to Orchomenus? Since our armies conquered Thebes four years ago. Where were you, supposed son of Zeus? Sharpening my blade. Is that a threat? Before the general could finish his sentence, Hercules had drawn his blade and sliced through his neck. Hercules moved with such speed, by the time the general's head hit the ground, Hercules had killed four more minion soldiers. Hercules moved like lightning, slicing through the minion ranks. Some tried to pull their swords and fight, but they were no match for the vengeful son of Zeus. 
Bodies fell and blood sprayed as one by one Hercules slew the minions. When Hercules was finished, not a single soldier was left alive. Hercules decided this would be a message. He gathered together the corpses, cut off their noses and ears, then tied their hands behind their backs. He strapped their dead bodies to their horses and sent the horses galloping back to the king who had sent them. Hercules returned to Thebes to great fanfare. Word had spread of his mighty victory, and the people called him a hero. It was as if they had forgotten the murder of Linos. Hercules felt like a new man. King Creon, the king of Thebes himself, requested Hercules' presence in his throne room. Hercules knelt before the king, unsure of what would happen next. Your Highness. Hercules, son of Zeus, and foster son to my loyal subject Amphitryon, welcome to my palace. You have done our people and our nation a great service, and we owe you a fearsome debt. There is no greater man in Thebes, and it is my humble hope that you accept a gift, my daughter's hand in marriage. Creon gestured to his side, and there stood the most beautiful woman Hercules had ever seen. Hercules, meet my daughter Megara. It is a pleasure to meet you. The pleasure is all mine. As he looked in Megara's eyes, Hercules could tell that she was just as smitten with him as he was with her. I would happily take your daughter's hand in marriage. The city cheered. Their hero would marry their princess, Thebes' safety would be secured for another generation to come. But on Olympus, Hera watched the proceedings with hatred in her heart. Your son is betrothed. Yes, the excitement is palpable. His wife is beautiful. He deserves no less. Really? Are you not jealous? I am sure you were dreaming of laying with that girl yourself. Do you have a point to make, or can I just be happy for my boy? As long as the boy is happy, you are happy. Is that right? Yes, in fact it is. Well, he won't be happy for much longer. As Hera schemed, the wedding proceeded. It's important to remember that Greeks hearing the story would be inherently and perpetually aware that Hera was the goddess of marriage. For them, Hercules' wedding would have taken an ominous tone. If the goddess of marriage herself was against the wedding, there wasn't much hope for a happily ever after. Despite this overhanging cloud, Hercules and Megara had a joyful ceremony, and their union was immediately fruitful. Within the year, Megara had given birth to Theramachus, their firstborn son. Even in infancy, Theramachus was already demonstrating a similar strength as Hercules, and his parents were incredibly proud. Hercules settled into his life in Thebes as a father to Theramachus and counselor to King Creon. He assisted in providing strategies for war, and whenever a battle arose, Hercules was happily on the front lines, cutting down enemy hordes with ease. Of course, few sought to battle with Thebes, knowing Hercules stood in their way. So, for the most part, life was peaceful. Within another year, Megara gave birth to their second son, Creontiades. The couple lovingly doted on both of their sons. 
As they grew, so did Hercules' love for them and his love for his wife. Megara gave birth to a third son, Aphidus. The happy little family was robust and healthy. Hercules' future was looking brighter every day. But in his happiness, Hercules had forgotten Hera. But Hera had not forgotten him. On a particularly dark night, Hera stirred the winds into motion, so mortals could not hear her arrival. She put on a cloak and hood, so mortals could not recognize her visage. She crept into Hercules' bedroom, silent as a mouse. As Hercules lay sleeping, Megara in his arms, Hera leaned over his head and whispered into his ears, I thought about killing you. I still could. I could wrap my hands around your throat and crush your larynx without a second thought. But that is not enough. You must suffer. Hera pressed her finger against his eyelids and said her words of binding. They are not your family. They are your enemies. Every last one. Her wicked words took green form and slithered into his ear canal. She snuck away just as she entered and returned to Mount Olympus to watch her plan take place. As the morning came, Hercules stirred from his slumber. His head throbbed with pain and his blood pulsed with fury. He opened his eyes to see his wife turn to face him. Her face was chalky gray, and her eyes were red. She looked like a spawn of Hades, a creature of the underworld. So this is your true form? After years of marriage, you reveal yourself to me now? Darling, what are you? She tried to speak to him, but every word she said only made his headache worse. Each syllable another grinding pestle to the mortar of his mind. As Hercules swelled with anger... Megara cowered beneath him. This was not the man she married. Why did you deceive me? To get the blood of Zeus pumping through your wicked children? I do not know what you mean. Are they even my children? Hercules stomped to the kids' rooms to look at his sons. Megara ran, crying after him. Hercules approached Theramachus, still asleep in his bed. He looked closely at his son, for the first time seeing something terrible. Those cheeks, that chin, those eyes. Theramachus looked just like Linos. The demon woman of Hades had deceived him with the soul of a dead man. Hercules grabbed Theramachus with one hand and pulled him from his bed. Hercules quickly stomped to the next crib and grabbed Creontiades by the ankle. Do not hurt them. Do not hurt them, please. Hercules marched to the kitchen, his crying sons flailing in his hands. The servants had stoked a fire to cook breakfast. This is what I think of the sons of Linos. Hercules threw his sons upon the flames. No! Theramachus tried to crawl out, but Hercules pushed him back in. When it was clear these two could not escape, Hercules went for the third. Megara tore at his skin with her nails. She hit him over and over. She pulled at his legs to slow him down, but he was simply too strong. He was a son of Zeus, 
she couldn't stop him. Hercules grabbed their newborn baby boy, dragged him to the kitchen, and tossed him onto the burning corpses of his brothers. Megara crumbled to the floor as Hercules watched his son's flesh melt away. His head began to clear, and his rage began to settle. A green mist blew from his nose, the smoke collecting in the air in front of him. In the smoke, Hera's face formed, laughing and cruel. No! Hercules began to realize what he'd done. He reached out to Megara for comfort, but she cowered away from his hand. No! The bones smoldered, but the screams stopped. Hercules had burned his own children alive. The road to redemption is long and arduous. For Hercules, that road is filled with challenges of godly proportions. Next week, we'll follow Hercules to the depths of Hades and the heights of Mount Olympus. Will he be able to save his children or make peace with Hera? Will Megara ever forgive him? You can listen to Mythology and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, or your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. We'll be back next week. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Giles Hofseth. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, and Steve Pinto. I'm Vanessa Richardson.